glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me as we read Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. The Bible says, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it, and some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no fruit. And the other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit, and sprang up, and increased, and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some and hundredfold. Verse 9, And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now if you would to Proverbs chapter 24, and our key verse, by the way, here in Mark chapter 4 is verse 7. And some fell among thorns. Okay? Uh, so now if you would, Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34. Bible says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. I think you may be seated. Uh, As I go back to Mark chapter 4 just for a moment uh, to give us the Lord's interpretation of his own parable, the Bible says in Mark chapter 4 verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, And the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. What is the difference in, and and again, I feel like I'm preaching to a very familiar crowd tonight with with this text and with this, including the text of the parable of the sower. But what is the difference in the lives of people? You see some people, and they are so responsive to the word of God. Their lives reflect what the Bible says. So, You look at that and you see that in their work ethic. You see that in what they are willing to do and what they're not willing to do. You see that in the values of their life. You see it reflected in the priorities of their life. You see some people, it is an established priority every day to spend time with God in prayer, in His Word. You see them just taken up with the Word of God. You see the honesty of their lives, their mouths, their their conduct. And you can just realize their life is a byproduct of what God's Word says. Their decision-making is a response to the Bible. And then you see other lives, and they all sit under the same preaching, read the same Bible, indwelt by the same Holy Spirit, but it just doesn't seem to have the same effect. May I say this? Every issue that we have to face in life is an issue of the heart. Keep thy heart, Proverbs 4.23 says, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Slothfulness is an issue of the heart, and it shows up in the life, something that the Holy Spirit of God has much emphasized to me. Sometimes it's in my own life. Sometimes it's in the life of someone that I'm responsible for, whether in my home or in this church, as far as spiritual care and something will bug me, and I'll think, well, what is it that's bugging me? We're not dealing with an evil person here. We're not dealing with someone that's trying to do wrong. But there's something wrong in their life, and I can't put my finger on it. And the Spirit of God will point out, and maybe again, maybe my own life, it's not what they're doing, it's what they're not doing. It's what we're not doing. May I say this? 
if long enough we don't do what we ought to do, we'll begin to do what we ought not. So it seems like you said that recently. You're correct, I have. <laughs> if we long enough don't do what we ought to do before long, we'll be doing what we ought not to do. If you and I do not tend to the keeping of our hearts, our hearts will soon not have room for God's Word. God's Word, you must make room for it in your heart. You must keep your heart clear and protected from other things. May I say this? I heard a man give this illustration in a sermon recently. In my life, there's not room for me to love, as God told me to love, multiple wives. There's not. You cannot do that. He gave the illustration. He said, you have somebody come in and there's a problem and someone, uh, the, the marriage is in turmoil because the husband is having some immoral affair on his wife and he says, well, I still love my wife. She's the mother of my children. But I've met this other lady and I love her too. <laughs> That's not going to work very long, is it? The love for the other has crowded out the love for the one he's supposed to love That is the illustration of these thorns. We're going to find in Proverbs 24 what happened to the field that was supposed to be producing fruit. All of a sudden, it's producing thorns. By the way, I think that can be representative of an individual heart. It can be representative of a church. The heart of a church ought to be a fruit-bearing place. And I understand that we, if we're God's people, can't produce the evil fruit of thorns. That's not the application we're giving. The thorns in this this context, Mark chapter 4, represent things that come in and suck up the nutrition of the ground. How many of you have ever got weeds and thorns in your garden and they've done exactly what you just read about? They choked the life out of what you were trying to grow because they sucked up the water, they sucked up the nutrition, they took over that ground. Next thing you know, the thorns are thriving and what ought to be growing there has withered up and died. The same it is with the Word of God tonight. When you and I give our hearts to the cares of this life, the Bible talks about the pleasures of this life, is what Matthew 13, I believe, says, that what crowds into our heart is the cares of this life. We get worried and anxious about things in this life, temporal things. We get worried over money. We get worried over health. These are things that affect all of our lives. We get worried over housing, job, family, all these things that are unique to this life but we give our heart to tending to those cares. Every day, all we can think about is, oh, i got to be prepared for what's coming next. I have to do this and this and this. Well, the Bible says, I don't have time for that. If I do that, I cannot take care of my home. If I do that, I can't feed my family. If I do that, we'll lose our health insurance. If I do that, we might lose our car. If I do that, I can't be faithful to God. i got some things in life i got to tend to. And a lady today, she has testimony of salvation, and she said they're just not in church. And I said, can I ask you why you're not in church? She said, you know, I, just, I said, how long now, church? She said, 30 years. So you know we, where we were, you know, we lived out of town and moved in town and where we were going to church didn't work and kids and job and business and, you know, she described to me, the cares of this life said, I don't have time for the preaching of God's word teaching of God's Word been 30 years since they've been in church. And this family has a pretty clear testimony of salvation, husband and wife. I seriously doubt children and grandchildren are saved. Very unlikely. What happened? Cares this life. The deceitfulness of riches. If I just had more finances, I could take care of the things in this life that I'm worried about. Money is the answer to housing, isn't it? Money is the answer to food, isn't it? Money is the answer to clothes. Money answereth all things, Solomon said, and they said it rhetorically. <laughs> but money answers everything. It's the answer to education. It's the answer to the future of our kids and our grandkids. I mean, you've got to have money. If you don't have money, you can't tend to those things. So, but that's not true. Riches lie to you. I also read a recent quote that said, not a matter of if you're going to lose your money, it's a matter of when. Everybody's going to lose your money, either now in this life or when you die. <laughs> But we're going to, why do we spend our lives collecting something we know we're going to lose? Uh, Concerned with it. So the, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, these are, these are the thorns that crowd God's word out. And then lusts of other things is how it's described in Mark. Uh, pleasures is how it's described in some other places. But here's just the longing for something other than the word of God. The Bible reminds us in First Peter chapter 2, we mentioned it this morning in Sunday school, 
that we are to, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. May I say this to you tonight, and some need to be very attentive. If you start losing your appetite for the Bible, ask yourself, what stole it from me? What has my appetite then? By the way, he doesn't, he doesn't say lust for sin. He said lusts of other things. It, it may be your lust for a hobby. It may be your lust for some downtime. It may be your lust for just some good old pleasure. Do you know what it does? Ask yourself, why don't I have time to invest my life into getting the Bible in, it saturated into my life? What is it that robs me of the Word of God? What is it, and by the way, what we're finding here tonight, to maintain that ground requires diligence. If not, how many of you ever went and planted thorns in your garden? Renee, you're a gardener. You ever plant thorns in your garden? Never planted a weed. I'm sure of it. But I guarantee you've hoed a bunch of them. Weeds grow what? Naturally. Part of the sin curse, isn't it? You know what? The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things will grow naturally in your life. But by the word of God, you've got to get them out and fence off your heart and keep some things out of there so that our heart can produce what God intended it to. I just want to give that from Mark 4. Now go to Proverbs 24. And let's give you three things tonight about the field of the slothful. The difference between the field of the fruitful and the field of the slothful is just that. The fruitful field is not someone whose field just got an extra blessing. It's someone who tended to it and did what they were supposed to with it. They applied themselves to tending to the ground that was under their management. Now, let's ask it in. Proverbs 4.23 Whose responsibility is it to guard your heart to keep it clear and clean for the Word of God? Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's your job to guard your heart. It's my job to guard my heart so that it can do what it is intended to do, so it can be used for its intended purpose. Now, Proverbs 24, verse 30 again. Let's read these verses again. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. And that's exactly what we need to do tonight. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and I want as an armed man. Let's begin tonight with the purpose of this field. He said, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. What is the purpose of a vineyard? Grapes. So you can press those out and have grape juice and grape jelly and whatever else grape you want, right? Grapes are good for the health. They are a healthy part of the diet. The Bible told Paul told Timothy, use a little wine. By the way, in contrast to those who love to drink their alcohol and defend it, there's no evidence in Scripture he recommended alcoholic wine. Amen. God tells us about alcoholic wine in Proverbs 23, 31. Look not on the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like an adder. It, it, it bites and stings like an adder. So the idea would be this. When it ferments, just stay away from it. I quoted that to a man the other day. It's to a conversation uh, on the internet over the word of God, some questions being asked, things being said. Quote that, he said, you are misapplying scripture, you're turning wisdom into law, you're a Pharisee. I could have said, well, don't judge me. I didn't, but anyway. Uh, that, that scripture's clear. <laughs> Here's when you do it. So, use a little wine for their stomach's sake. The purpose of this vineyard was to produce, the Bible says... Uh, that, that wine for uh, bread for the heart of man and oil for the countenance and wine which cheers the heart of man. This was supposed to produce fruit as was the field. The field was for wheat or barley or some sort of grain. That's the intent of a field. But he said, I went by the, wa- the, the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. What crops were he growing? He said, lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the 
stone wall there was broken down. He said, I looked in the field. There weren't grapes growing in the vineyard. There were not, there wasn't wheat in the field. I went by and found nettles and thorns. That's what attaches us to the parable of the sower. Here's a, a ground that the good stuff couldn't grow because the bad things had overtaken it. Other things had crowded it out and it portrays the heart that has become overgrown with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the, and the lust of other things. May I say this? I, I personally, I don't think I've ever seen someone who was at one point in time serving God in the Word of God, in prayer, seeking God's will, trying to prepare for God's will, seeking to do God's will, and then one day say, I am done. Quit church, quit Bible reading, quit prayer. Boom. I'm sure it somewhere can say that happened. You know how it happens? Little increments at a time. You know, I probably ought to be in my Bible today, but I can't today. I got, I got things to do. You know, I should take time to pray, but boy, I'm just too busy today. And then once you've done it once, it's easier to do it again tomorrow. You know, I probably ought to grab some tracks today on the way out and be mindful this week about witnessing to somebody. One of these days I will, but I just, I never think of it. Does it ever occur to us to stop and think, why don't I ever think of it? What is wrong with me when I'm not thinking of investing in spiritual things? Generally because there's other things. (laughs) One day we're going to, Stand before our Lord if we don't be diligent about the work He's given us to do with our head in our hands and say, here I am in heaven and I'm losing that reward because I was more concerned about a vehicle that I've not thought about in 30 years than I was about eternal things, about souls, about Christians serving God, about being faithful to my Lord. And so then the purpose of the field, back to our message outline, was number one, fruitfulness. You realize God intends for us to be fruitful? Meaning he intends for the reading, the ingestion of God's word to turn into decisions in your life as a fruit and a result of what his word says. He intends Mark 14, 38 to turn us into prayer warriors. Not people who constantly confess how bad we are at prayer. I get frustrated sometimes. One of the best things we do is, well, we know we all ought to pray, but we all fail at it. Why? Aren't we supposed to pray? Do you realize God turned Peter from a sleeper into a prayer warrior? Do you realize when the Lord Jesus had watched him pray with me in the garden, Peter slept, but when you find him in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius sends for him and Peter is hungry, you know what he's doing? Not eating, but praying while he's waiting for his food to be prepared. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John go up to the temple and they have the opportunity to heal a man that was that was lame from his mother's womb, you know what hour it was? It was the hour of... Prayer, God changed Peter from a sleeper into a praying man. And he can do the same for you and I. Many times the, the propensity of the flesh becomes our excuse to continue in the same path. No, listen tonight. God intends us to be fruitful. He intends for us to have in our lives the love of him that he wants to develop through the knowledge of him. Paul prayed for the Ephesians in four, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I think verse 26 on down through verse 32, that they would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, that they would understand His love that surpasses knowledge. Why? We love Him because He first loved us. You're not going to fall in love with God outside of ten, spending time in His Word. There's no way. And so then what happens is, is uh, what is supposed to be fruitful ends up not being, but may we understand tonight... God's intention is for our heart to be receptive to his word, for us to say, you know, what God said is right. I must act upon that in obedience. Our obedience to God's word is fruit. Look if you would at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then we're going to go to John chapter 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Bible says in verse, and where I want to be, yes, verse 12. Let's go back to verse 11. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing 
because when you received the word of God, you received it not as the word of, of which received the word of God, which ye heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually, that's the key word here, worketh also in you that believe. You know what one of the synonyms for fruit is? Effect. Effect. I want you to let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit of God help you answer this question. I can't, but you're going to have to be mindful of the Lord. What effect is the Scripture having on you right now? What, if, what am I doing as a response to what the Bible says, whatever that is? You say, I'm doing that not because somebody will think bad if I don't. I mean, people may think bad if I don't, but I'm doing that because I know the Word of God says. And I ask another question. What am I not doing in response to the Word of God tonight? What is there the Word of God has said and we've just not acted on it? And I'm not talking about being perfect. And how many know this? You can't perfect something until you start it. You know what? We're on the gardening thing tonight. I'm not a perfect gardener. Way far from it. But you know what? I grow more vegetables than I did three or four years ago. You know why? Because when I planted them. And if I want to get better every year, whatever I failed at this year, whatever I neglected this year, I can learn and say, i got to build on that. You know what? There's at times we say, well, I'm not even going to do that because I can't do it well. That's called slothfulness. If I can't do it like a pro, I won't do it at all. You know what else that is? That's rooted in pride. I'm not good at memorizing Scripture. That's an excuse. Period. My dad met a man in Kentucky who would stand up and quote the Bible. Now, he was kind of an odd duck, I think. But he stand up and quote the Bible. I think he was in his 80s. The man could not read, never has learned to read. And he could quote from almost any portion of Scripture you called upon and quote from. He had purposed in his heart, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to learn it. If we're not memorizing Scripture tonight, it's not because we can, it's because we won't. And if you're not memorizing Scripture tonight, friend, you're going to lose some spiritual battles. You're going to lose some ground in your heart. I'm not talking about get into some program that will teach you how to just get it in your head. I'm talking about finding some, some of the Word of God that you need and you ingesting that and you meditating on that and dwelling on that and using that in your spiritual conflict, the purpose of this field was fruitfulness. Just like the Thessalonians, that when we hear the word of God, it is effectual, but it's only effectual in those that believe. John chapter 15, we know so well, the Lord Jesus likened us to a vineyard. He likened our relationship to him to a vineyard. We won't read all of it, but just enough to establish the fact that our Father in heaven intends us to be fruitful. He intends for the presence of Jesus Christ in our life to be manifest through obedience to Him in our lives. Even as the Lord Jesus loves the Father and obeys Him, we're to love the Lord Jesus and obey Him. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. Skip down, if you would, to verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Our lives are supposed to be producing fruit. Uh, obedient lives. The final product of the evidence of life is fruit. And uh, we've dealt with other messages on fruit, but the purpose of a field and a vineyard is fruitfulness. It's supposed to produce wheat that will feed mankind, that will testify to the grace and goodness of God in providing for His people. And as our lives produce the fruit of God's Word, as we respond in obedience to God's Word, it does good for man, gives health to man, it gives glory to God. The purpose of the field was fruitfulness. The purpose of the field, number two, was fullness. Whoever owned the field ate the product of the field. The person that grew that wheat got to go harvest that wheat, got to thresh that wheat, got to make flour out of it, got to make bread out of it. There is no food that tastes as good as food you have grown with your own hands. Amen. Uh, there are times that you, you go, if you grow a garden, you go harvest what you grew in that garden. You harvest fruit, you go pick it off, you process it. I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for jelly at the store right now. i got too much good homemade stuff in my cupboard at home. Came right off those fruit trees. 
These girls and their mom work it and get that developed. And man, it's good stuff. My point is this. You know what the purpose of fruitfulness is? Fullness. You know why there's so many empty Christians tonight? We opt out of obeying what God tells us to do many times. Well, I know I ought to. I just can't. It's just, I'm so busy. The most fruitful Christians I know are the busiest people in the world. There's no room in their schedule for hardly anything. And yet they always find time for the Lord. They always find time to serve others. George Mueller, I believe it was, said he was so busy with the things of the Lord, he couldn't afford to pray less than two hours a day. He said, I'm so busy serving the Lord, I've got to have at least that much time with the Lord to be able to fulfill my duties. And we say, I'm too busy for the Lord. A lot of truth in that statement. And so the point would be tonight, it's our job to tend to our heart. Why? Because our heart is supposed to bear fruit. The Word of God is supposed to be ingested by faith, produce action in the life that is a reflection of the belief of Scripture. I said Mark 14, 38 is intended to turn us into praying people. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is supposed to turn us into preaching people, proclaiming people that give our life. Matthew 5, 16 is to be a verse that should produce holy, separated living in our lives where we are responding to what God thinks of us rather than what man thinks of us so man can see there's a God. Uh, These verses are not supposed to simply be verses we talk about. They're supposed to be verses we live about. That's fruitfulness. And God intends us to be fruitful that we may be full. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Proverbs chapter 12 Verse 11 says, He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. He that tilleth his land, he that tends to his land, are you tilling your heart? Are you letting the Word of God cultivate your heart? Are you putting your heart before God in prayer to expose the thorns that have crept in and have them... You know what? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His word purges us. And so the fact of the matter is tonight, we are to keep our hearts with all diligence that they may be fruitful, that we may have fullness. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14. Proverbs 14, verse 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. I think you could call the slothful man we meet in Proverbs 24 a backslider in heart. At one time he had a stone wall around his property, but he let it go. At one time he had a field producing wheat, but he let it go. At one time he had a vineyard where he could go get some grapes, but you got to purge that vine and you got to tend to that vine and you got to keep your fence built up to keep the foxes out that steal the vine, Solomon said. You got to maintain that thing. And at some point in time, he said, I'm too tired today to go work in the vineyard. I am too tired today to tend to my vine. I'm too tired today. And by the way, there's a lot of application to this text. A lot. We're keeping it a little bit general tonight. Too tired today to go plant another crop of wheat. I think I'll just sit at home and take it easy. Well, if you don't go plant a crop, there's not going to be fruit. And if there's not fruit, you're going to go hungry. Well, we've got some laid up from last year. We'll be all right. We often live in our past experiences as Christians. Well, one time I was, and at one time this, and you know, the Lord spoke to me really good a few months ago, and I've just been living off of that. Yeah, it's not going to last too long. And so then, uh, Proverbs 14, 14, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Jesus said that if you believe on him out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But we also know you and I can quench that river. We can grieve that river of living water. And so the fact of the matter is tonight, the purpose of the field is fruitfulness and fullness. Fruitfulness of the field and vineyard, the fullness of the owner. The the Lord wants you to be a contented, satisfied Christian who is overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit of God. May I say tonight, if we're not bearing abundant fruit, the Lord, you notice John 15, He wants fruit, He wants more fruit, He wants much fruit. What has to happen is, you know what produces fruit in the life of the believer? The Word of God. But when our heart gets filled with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, there's not room for that book. May I say this, when it comes to your flesh, 
and the appetite of your flesh. This Bible cannot hold a candle to the most well-produced entertainment the world has to throw at you. If you're going to have to choose, or, or to, to the momentary satisfaction of a paycheck that's going to allow you to buy what you really enjoy, when we're talking about fleshly gratification versus soul satisfaction, the world and the things it has to offer gives fleshly gratification. This book gives soul satisfaction. There's a vast difference. And one is easy to get and easy to lose. <laughs> and the other one, the satisfaction that comes from a walk with the Lord must be maintained. The Bible likens the Christian life to a warfare. It likens the Christian life to a husbandman working in a vineyard. If you're going to have fruit, you've got to work the vineyard, even it is with the field of our heart. The purpose of the field is fruitfulness and fullness. Number two, the problem with the field. The problem with the field was twofold, and we've already incorporated a lot of this, but it was foiled. When we use that word, foiled means an intended purpose has been cut off. Its intended purpose of fruitfulness and fullness was no longer there. The man went to pluck a grape off his vine. He says, honey, I'm hungry. She said, well, why don't you go down to the vineyard and get some grapes? And he says, ah, there might be some wild ones still growing. I haven't pruned that vine in three years. I'll go see. And he goes back and he says, man, you cannot eat thorns. I'm hungry. My goodness, you cannot eat nettles. All they do is stick to you and irritate you. You know what? One day we wake up and say, what happened to my Christian life? Where's the joy that that's supposed to be here? When was the last time we made room in our heart for the Word of God and removed the things that were crowding it out? The problem with the field was it was foiled, meaning it was unprotected. It was corrupted with nettles and thorns. You remember when thorns were introduced, don't you? Genesis 3.18. After the fall of man... Thorns were the product of a cursed ground. Do you know why the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things pop up so easily in your heart and mind? It's flesh. It's so natural. It just, it just pops up. And unless you and I keep our heart, that's what will fill our hearts. If you and I do not intentionally remove the cares of this life by faith, the deceitfulness of riches by the truth concerning those things and the lust of other things with satisfaction with God and with His Word, the thorns and nettles will take over our hearts. They must be intentionally and purposely removed from our heart. This field was unprotected. Whoever was this man that was responsible for keeping it protected and keeping it plowed up, keeping the wrong things out and the right things in, had neglected his duty. Paul told Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee which is given thee by prophecy. Stir up the gift that is in thee. We're told that we're not to neglect those things. And so this ground was unprotected, and therefore it was spoiled. It was corrupted through thorns and nettles. It was compromised, and by that mean, the wall that was built to keep the wrong things out was down. You know what happened? Whatever leftover grapes or wheat there was, the animals had free access to come in and eat them up. There's, you know what? You and I need walls around our heart. We need to say, if I don't have this conviction, I've got a conviction that when someone wrongs me, immediately I'm going to prepare forgiveness in my heart toward them, lest the thorn of bitterness and the root of bitterness spring up and defile many people. Every one of us tonight have people who've harmed us, done us wrong, wounded us, and if you don't have a wall of conviction against bitterness and for forgiveness, the thorn of bitterness will creep up and there'll be no room for God's Word in your heart. You and I must have a conviction against covetousness. Let's call covetousness a fox. It'll come in and steal the grape of contentment. It'll steal the fruit of contentment and joy If you don't build a wall that helps you say, that's covetousness, and I'm not going to allow anything that's going to produce that in my heart, in my life. You know one of the number one reasons I'm not going to... I don't watch TV and commercials. We watch some things from time to time, but I'm careful about that. But as far as just sitting down and watching TV with all the commercials, I've not done that so long for a number of reasons. Number one, most of it is 100% smut. You can't even sit through a commercial without filth in front of your face. But if it weren't for that, you know one of the other fruits of constantly watching advertisements is? Covetousness. I don't have that. Oh, man, I need one of those. Then you get it. Now I need the better edition of it. 
If you know something's producing covetousness in your life, build a wall. Hem it out. If you know something's giving you an opportunity to lust in your eyes, with your eyes, hem it out. Build you a wall. Make sure that you... Look, there are some sins. The only way to keep from committing them is build a wall that keeps them out of your life. Because once you have the opportunity, the flesh is too weak to to respond. So the Bible says... We are to not make provision for the flesh, meaning build a wall to him off opportunity for fleshly appetite to be acted upon so that you can keep your heart for God's word. So then we could go on and get more examples, but this ground was foiled because it was corrupted with thorns and nettles and in compromise through a broken down wall. It went by the field of the slothful, by the vineyard of the man void of understanding it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. I've dropped my defenses against the things that rob the fruit of God's word in my life. You have to guard against the things that will rob that. Friendships. There are friendships that will come and rob us of the fruit of God's word. There are people that will sow discontentment and discord in your heart. You have to build a wall and say, these are the convictions I have about who I'm going to be a companion with. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Evil communications, corrupt good manners. And so then, the purpose of the field, fruitfulness and fullness. The problem with the field, it was unprotected, therefore it was corrupted and compromised, and therefore it was unproductive. The field was unproductive. It was not producing what it was intended to produce. You as a Christian tonight are intended to be the revelation of a living Savior by your response to His Word in your life. His command to pray is supposed to, of all things, believe it or not, produce prayer in our life. His command to forgive is supposed to produce forgiveness in our lives. His command to love God's Word and hide it in our hearts is to produce meditation in God's Word. His command to love one another is supposed to produce love for one another. Like it's supposed to be actual. And then it's supposed to increase. His command to believe God and have faith in God is supposed to result in us, as we have opportunity, actually trust God, trust His judgments, trust His promises, trust His commandments, trust His faithfulness to do what He said He'll do, so on and so forth. These things are supposed to produce that. His command to go and preach is supposed to bear fruit in us going and preaching. His command for children to obey their parents is supposed to be reproduced in the life of a believing child by obedience to parents. His command to, for husbands to love their wives is supposed to result in husbands loving their wives and wives submitting to their husbands. And there are commands that are direct and specific and it's supposed to produce those actions in our life. But if I've got something else that I'm more interested in than His commandments, then what's going to happen? I'm going to make room for the other thing instead of what He says. Amen? That's what happens. And so then a field that's supposed to be fruitful and gives fullness and satisfaction to the believer, meaning you are constantly feasting on the fruit of serving God. When that's not there, the fruit's not there, then what happens is you have empty, dissatisfied people who's the Word of God, and we know what happens? Then the fruit withers up. That's what the Bible says. It had root, but it withered. Because it's crowded out by thorns. The problem with the field. Foiled through not being protected and fruitless. And therefore it was, we mean it was not productive. Thirdly, the possessor of the field. All of this, a field that was supposed to be fruitful and give fullness to the owner, instead is laying in shambles. And Solomon, through the wisdom and the Holy Spirit of God, puts his finger on why. You know what the the root problem was? It's just the stones are so hard to collect in this area, I couldn't keep a wall up. I tried. I mean, I would go and work, and, you know, I was telling my kids, I won't go into a lot of details because we're in a small town. But I was talking to somebody that's a business owner, business is going out of business, and I wasn't asking anything. The, the, the business owner wanted to talk, so we were talking a little bit. And as they went on to explain, they said, well, this doesn't function in our building because um, people kept, the bathroom didn't work, people kept breaking the door down. And we don't wash the clothes that we sell because the, it takes all day to wash laundry. And I mean, one reason after another why things were laying in shambles in the business. And as I left, I saw it. I considered it well. I said, I better pay attention to that. What I can see in somebody else surely is something I better look out for in me. 
It was reasons. The Bible says the the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render reason. If a person is a slothful Christian not producing the fruit, we always have good reasons. Why that verse, yes, I know what God expects, but I just cannot carry that out in my life. Many times it's because we just aren't putting ourselves to it. We're not just putting our hand to the plow and doing the work that God has given us to do, whether it be prayer, meditation in God's word, or giving the gospel, or ministering to another Christian in need, whatever it may be. So the possession of the field, first of all, the Bible says, I went by the vineyard, by the field of the slothful. This has been our emphasis. He just wouldn't put himself to the work that was his responsibility. May I say this to every husband here tonight? It's not my responsibility to love your wife. That's your responsibility. <laughs> so you know who's got to put themselves to it? You've got to love your wife. We've got to love mine. We each have our field to tend to, don't we? This was his field, meaning it was him. It belonged to him. You know, why lot, you know why a lot of marriages, by the way, I think there's a great message on marriage here. The Bible calls a husband a husband because it's like husbandry. You've got to invest in that woman if you want her to bear fruit. You're going to have to spend time with her. You're going to have to work on what's not right. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to labor in prayer. You're going to have to, it's work, but she'll bear fruit that will bless your soul. Amen? That's, that's God's intent. The Lord Jesus invests in His church and is satisfied with the fruit that comes from our lives. And here, many a marriage fails not through what people did, but what they didn't do. The husband that just didn't make time for his wife. The wife that just didn't become sensitive to his needs or, well, or, or, or didn't care about what honored him. So, well, I, you know, I know he cares about it, but it's not that important to me. It's many times just neglecting the things we ought to do. Many a Christian has never borne the fruit God saved us to bear, not because we couldn't do some great thing, but we wouldn't begin to do the small thing. Like, go repair a fence that's broken down, the stone wall. And so the first thing we find is he's slothful. I went by the field of the slothful. This thing looks like it does. Field nettles and thorns. The diligent man's field would look the same way. The soil's the same. The, 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 the geography is the same. All of that's the same. What's different between this man's field that's fruitful and this man's that's laying in shambles and filled with thorns and nettles is he just wouldn't work the field. Just wouldn't work it, wouldn't labor. The Bible talks about laboring in the Word of God. It talks about studying to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You will not have the Word of God inside of you producing fruit in your life on accident. You're going to have to get into God's Word, labor in it in prayer, and let it te- let God teach you through it and fill your heart with it. it. The slothful will never be fruitful. We are laborers together with God, and that's speaking to laboring with that church and likening it to a vineyard. And so the slothful man here, that's number one, the possessor of the field is slothful. You know what else the Bible calls him? Simple. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man, void of understanding. You know what that tells us? He never considered, if I don't go rebuild my wall, my family is going to starve in a couple years. If I don't go shore some things up, if I don't go till till my ground, we're not going to get to eat this winter. Now, we understand that physically, don't we? But spiritually, I fear we've had a generation of Christians says, if I don't get serious about God, we're going to lose a generation. If we don't get serious about God, our churches are going to start shutting down. Friend, they're shutting down. You know what? You know what a good part of the explanation is? We couldn't look and figure that being slack about being faithful to the house of God, being slack in regard to the word of God, being slack in prayer, I'm not saying not doing it, being slack, half-hearted, halfway. Uh, I'm going to give myself halfway to the spiritual things. Now, when I'm on the job, buddy, I am on time. I'm on time. I'm there every day. If they need me, you bet. Church, I don't know. I, You know, church... And we wonder why we're in this spiritual decline. May God deliver us from that mentality. May God help us not to be fools who don't look out in the future and say, if this generation doesn't apply itself to the things of God, there's not going to be fruit for the next one. Amen? And so then, here we are tonight. Here's a man that was slothful. Number two, he was simple. And you know what we find he was doing when he was supposed to be working? 
sleeping. Well, Pastor, I get up early every morning. I get to bed at a good hour. Let's not talk about physical sleep. Let's talk about spiritual. Spiritual sleep is something that Christians can do because three times at least in Scripture, God tells Christians to awake. 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 Tells us that in Romans 13 and 1 Corinthians 15. I believe it's Ephesians 5. I didn't get that one written down. Tells us to awake out of sleep. You know what? When we're sleeping, we are unresponsive. I've had times, don't name any names, but I've tried to wake my children in the morning. And I go in and say, hey, time to get up. Hey, time to get up. I do my best. God commands me not to provoke my children to wrath. So I have not yet poured ice cold water on them. I have been tempted, but I haven't done it. I get more violent. Hey, wake up. You know how you know they're sleeping? No response. You know how you know you're sleeping spiritually? You read your Bible and it doesn't affect what you do. You hear a Bible message? No change. It doesn't change my schedule. It doesn't change my thought life. It doesn't change the habit of life. It doesn't change my goals. It doesn't change my objectives. I heard what it said, but I'm going to continue living exactly as I was before. That's how you can tell you're sleeping. The Word of God does not affect you by a positive response of action. I believe this. If you asked, I really believe this. If you take a poll of spiritual leaders across this land, whether parents or pastors, one of the most disheartening things that we often see is a hearing of the Word of God, and they're not, and I'm not saying it's always true, because it's not, but it is a general pattern, a hearing without it really changing the hearer in a very substantive way. And I understand a lot of change happens over time, but may we not be that person that's so simple that we don't change, get up. You know what? what? Why do we sleep? Help me. Number one reason we continue to sleep, and we're almost done. I've gone long. You've been patient. Why do we sleep? What's that? That's why we should sleep. The purpose of sleep is to rest our bodies so we can labor. But when we ought to get up and go to work and we still sleep, what it keeps us in the bed? It's comfortable. It is comfortable. I can't move. I'm, I'm comfortable where I am. There's no reason, no wonder God refers to spiritual lacks as sleeping. You know what? I'm comfortable. Right now, things are going well. I'm able to just kind of relax. I'm kind of coasting spiritually. And I'm hearing preaching say I need to change. I don't know why. House isn't burning down. I'm good. I'm fine. The Bible says, and lo, it was verse 31, all grown over with thorns and nettles and covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw... And considered it well, I looked upon it and received instruction, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. I cannot tell you, I think, I think, maybe I'm wrong, this is kind of my assessment. I think you should get more to the middle of life you're able to kind of take a more realistic assessment of just the way life is. You hope that somehow bad decisions back here will not result in bad fruit down here. But there are principles of sowing and reaping. And as you live longer, you, re- you watch people say, what happened to them? They seem to be doing so well. And then something happened in life and all of a sudden, man, they are off the rails. Like, they, sh- they should have seen so clearly this was the right decision to make, and they turned hard left or hard right. Why didn't they do what God wanted them? They came to a place where they needed to be rich in faith to make a decision. They, they were faced with a difficult decision. You're going to have to have a depth of faith in God to be able to decide, I'm going to make that step trusting God to undergird me. And when they needed the faith to make that decision, they were absolutely dry in their faith department. Poverty came up, spiritual poverty came upon them like a thief. They weren't expecting it. You know how many churches have shut down since 2020 in America? Do you know why? 
slothful Christian. Do you know how many churches, when COVID came and we decided across the land to shift out of church and decided that assembly is not assembly and all those things that people were very comfortable to transitioning to sitting at home because they were already used to missing church on a regular basis anyway. And let's just get that inconvenience out of our life now. My point is, we hit a season in 2020 where it required some faith and wisdom. There were those who were found without it. You think that's the last time we're going to meet something like that? Don't you think about Joseph. You know why he was prepared for a famine? Because he was a diligent young man and God gave him wisdom of seven years of plenty to be prepared for seven years of famine. When his, when his crisis hit, he, was, he had a spiritual bank. He had a bank of grain, like we need a bank of spiritual reserve to be able to face something. But you're not going to have that if you're not tending to your spiritual life. If you're not tending to the, to the heart, if you're not keeping the walls built up around your heart, one day you're going to wake up and need faith, you're going to need wisdom, you're going to need love, you're going to need mercy, you're going to need temperance in your life, and you're not going to have it. That, so should thy poverty come as one that traveleth. One day it's just going to show up. I need to make a decision of faith. I don't have any. I'm just going to have to lean on my own understanding. <laughs> it's not normally that conscious. It's just I'm still comfortable. And then... We fail miserably in what we ought to be doing. Isn't that what happened to Peter the night he denied the Lord? The Lord had been speaking to him, and the Lord had been speaking to him, and the Lord had been speaking to him, and he failed to tend to his spiritual life. And in a moment when he needed courage, he had poverty. Do you think Peter wanted to deny the Lord three times? He just didn't have the spiritual resources to be faithful. You know why? When Jesus said, watch and pray, what did he do? He slept. Spiritually, when we ought to be serving, many times we're just sleeping. And tonight, may we be diligent. You know what diligence is? I'm going to go ahead and make myself uncomfortable so I can do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to roll out of bed, get my feet on the ground, and do what I ought to do. I do not know. We're a small group of people, but the application is, I'm sure, in many different directions here tonight. Because we all have different areas where we're tempted to be or yielding to be slothful. But wherever God's put his finger tonight, say, you know what? You've been neglecting that. You've been neglecting your prayer life. You've been neglecting growing in in the grace of God through meditation in my word. You've been neglecting uh, being hospitable. God says, we're to use hospitality one toward another. You've been neglecting that. Why? Well, it's just too challenging, too difficult. Maybe God said, now, you need to get on that now. When would be the best time to say, you know what? In my mind, instead of giving the excuses why I won't, Tonight's night, I'm going to decide this is why I will. God has put his finger on something. Whatever it is, all right, Lord, I'm going to do it. I know you want it, and I've been putting it off, but I'm going to do it because it's my responsibility. Yes, it'll make me uncomfortable, but I'm going to do what you want me to do. Mm-hmm.